Welcome to the teaching ministry of Steve Franklin. Steve's calling is to coach champions in the kingdom of God. Our prayer for you as you listen to this word of encouragement and instruction is that you'll be built up in your faith and encouraged to take the next step in your development as one of God's true champions. Here's Steve. Status and benefits of those in Christ. And just my way of summary briefly, uh, I won't go into nine uh, previous sessions, but the Word tells us here, just to sum it all up, that we have been given every blessing in heavenly places. Did you know that every blessing where Jesus is right now belongs to you? We We have been given every blessing from heaven. Why don't you do something that I began to do a few weeks ago? Why don't you begin to say, Lord, show me what those blessings are. What are some of the blessings of heaven that I have been given? And we can begin to believe and and connect with those blessings. I don't know about you, but one of the greatest blessings from heaven for me right now is peace. How do you put a price tag on having peace in your heart? Unconditional love of God. It is the greatest force in the universe, the love of God, Uh, the joy of the Lord, which is our strength, Um, all of the beautiful gifts that are in Christ Jesus belong to us. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Well, pastor, I need more than stuff like that. I need something in my checkbook. Well, let me me tell you, there is an economy of heaven that is you can operate in it on the earth. And it's not always uh, fun, and you will see blips on the screen, but I promise you nothing ever changes in heaven. God is not broke. He's not in recession. He knows who you are and where you are. I love what the apostle wrote in Philippians 4.19, My God shall meet all your needs, all your needs right here, right now, by his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So there's a way heaven gets material blessings to the earth. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights. God has, listen. God has all kind of warehouses. All kind of warehouses of his blessing. And uh, the, you know what, um, you and I ought to pray uh, more and more that we'd be distributors <laughs> of the blessings that are stored in those warehouses. Amen. Everybody say this with me. I have every advantage that I need to prosper and prevail. Romans 8.37 says that we are more than conquerors. Do you know you're more than a conqueror through your debt, uh, over your debt, over disease, over rejection, over family brokenness? You're more than a conqueror through him who loved you. I love the wonderful passage in Ephesians 2. It talks about how we were dead in trespasses and sin and lived under the influence of the evil one. But verse 4 says, But God, who is rich in mercy... 
because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead. Do you know that before you were ever born, God saw you? He loved you. He set a preset destination for you to be adopted into his family. You used to be in the family of Adam, but you now born again into the family of God in Christ Jesus. They, we have uh, been chosen, and, and it is a holy family that we have been made a part of through the grace of God. In fact, in Christ Jesus, God can't see you apart from being in Christ, and he's holy and blameless and loved and accepted, and so are you. Do you know the Lord doesn't accept you based on your performance, but on the basis of Jesus' performance? And it's holy and righteous and good. Hallelujah. You can't be a son or a daughter of the Lord without being in Christ. And if you are in Christ, this word here right here says that he's chosen you before the foundation of the world, that you would be holy and blameless before him in love. What a wonderful, wonderful thing. We're accepted. We're redeemed. We have been bought. Do you know what that word redemption means? In that first century, it was common that human beings were actually sold on an auction block. Do you know that the Bible says that we were under a sentence of death because of our own sin? Born in it and chose to do it. I said born in it and chose to do it. Inherited it and chose it. And we were on an auction block. And somebody made a bid on us. He came forward to all the cosmic enemies in the earth, on the earth, under the earth. And he said, they don't belong to you. I have paid the price. It is paid in full. And on a hill far away, there was an old rugged cross. And there was a holy and righteous son who had you on his heart when he climbed up there. And he bought you out of the slavery of your own sin. Hallelujah. We're redeemed. We're justified. Romans 5.1 says that, Therefore, having been justified, declared not guilty, just as if I had never sinned, being justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have this standing in grace. Thank you, Lord. Did you know that when you pray, when you pray in faith, you are heard in heaven? Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 says that you have a holy high priest. His name is Jesus the righteous. And he was tempted in all things like you are, but he never sinned. And your high priest who didn't take the blood of sheep and goats, but with his own blood he entered the heavenly place. Hallelujah. There's blood around the throne today. And the Lord Jesus is your holy high priest. And the Bible says that you can come boldly and receive mercy and find grace to help you in your time of need. You are heard in heaven because there is a holy high priest who is interceding for you, the right hand of the Father. Therefore, you're never alone. Hebrews 13, 5 says he will never forsake you nor leave you. Regardless of how difficult this journey gets, 
there is one who will never leave nor forsake you. Because of all of that, you are always ultimately triumphant. In the long run, you will always be triumphant. I love that passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 where it says that the Lord always leads us into triumph and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Jesus in every place. You ought to try that sometime. When you're going shopping or you're going to for a visit or you're going into a, an interview or whatever it is, you ought to pray before you go in, Lord, I stand on the word of God that I will be triumphant, but I pray that you will manifest through me the sweet aroma, the knowledge of Jesus, so that when you're there dealing with your patients, dealing with your customers, dealing with your children, dealing with, that somehow the sweet aroma that you know Jesus is manifested in that room. You don't have to preach a sermon. There'll be, just be a sense about you that you have the very life of the Son of God on the inside of you. You're different, and there's a sweet aroma in there. And people will, will go away from you saying, something is different about that man, about that woman, about that young man, that young woman. There is something that appeals to me about that. We have every status and benefit. We'll, look, you'll spend eternity finding out about all the status and benefits that you have in Christ Jesus. We're grateful, and uh, uh, Debbie LaCroix is going to give us a, a narrative here. And Several weeks from now, she has gone through all these outlines. You won't just have bullets on an outline like I do. But there'll be a narrative that'll, that'll take in uh, this, what we've tried to cover in these 10 sessions and give you an opportunity to read and study it. And Debbie, thank you for doing that. It's quite a labor. It'll take a while, but uh, thank you. We're grateful for that. Now I want you to change gears with me, and I've asked the Lord to take us out of information into revelation in these next few minutes. That this will not be just words on the back of a page, on the back of your outline. But on this holy week in, in the life of Christians, all across the world, beginning with Palm Sunday, which is what we celebrate today, I want you to briefly walk with me through the next few days of Jesus' journey, and I want you to ask the Lord right now to give you a greater connection with his journey on the final days, the final week of his earthly life. Would you do that? Let's pray. Just ask the Lord by his Spirit, to make it clear to you and to give you a more intimate connection with your Lord. And would you just cry out from your inner man, oh, I want to know you more. I want to know you more, Lord. I want to know you more. Holy Spirit, we ask you to take us from information into revelation. That we would 
really have a special connection with you in walking through this holy week. Forgive us for being so casual that we have treated with flippancy this time as believers. We pray in Jesus' name that you would give us revelation of how you see it, that we may see it as well. Amen. On this Palm Sunday, all of you know, and I thank Deborah for decorating with these palm branches before she left. What's the significance of palm branches? In the first century culture, palm branches were an exp- a tangible expression of victory, of triumph, of overcoming. And it surrounded events where there was celebration and triumph. The Lord Jesus had spent three years teaching and preaching and performing miracles, ministering, always obeying the Father, always obeying the Father with everything he said, did, and thought. These last several days leading up to Palm Sunday that we call, there was mighty teaching. There was great authority. There were incredible miracles. And the excitement about Jesus being the Messiah had grown throughout all of Israel. The whole surrounding area, both Jews and Gentiles, were getting extraordinarily excited And they heard, he's coming to town. He's coming to town. We'll see him. Talking about Jerusalem. And on that Sunday, Jesus and the disciples began to walk toward town. He had already arranged for somebody not to get him a gold-filled chariot not to try to bribe some soldiers to come along with ammunition, but to get him a donkey and a colt. And as he approached town and got on that simple animal, the people saw that it was him. They lined the streets. Multitudes of people. You couldn't move. They laid aside certain outer garments, cloaks, laid them in the ground, laid them on the street. They took palm branches and literally littered that avenue with palm branches. It was saying, you are royal. You are triumphant. We believe and follow you. It was a deafening roar as Jesus approached and began the journey down the avenues of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. When he had reached the temple, he got down off the animal. He and his disciples went in to take a look at the temple where he'd been in many, many, many times, teaching, preaching, ministering, and it was empty. There were no crowds waiting there. There were no crowns. There was no celebration inside that temple anymore. It was empty. It won't always be. 
Then Jesus and his disciples left. It was getting late. They headed down a, a familiar road to a little town called Bethany. Bethany was approximately two miles down the road from Jerusalem. And that's where great, great friends, Mary, Martha, their brother Lazarus, whom Jesus had recently raised from the dead, that's where they were, and they welcomed. Some of you who have the gift of hospitality, listen very carefully to this. They welcomed, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus welcomed Jesus and the twelve. So you can't do that in a cabin in a cot. Have you ever thought about that? Not to mention the little nuclear family there, but 13 guests come up. You might take a deep breath even on that one, Gene. Jesus came into a place where he was safe, where he was loved, where there was true loyal friendship and love. He and the disciples spent the night. And then a very eventful day happened the next morning as they got up, began the journey back into Jerusalem, a two-mile journey. And uh, as they were traveling... Jesus looked over and saw a fig tree, common in, in, in the Middle East, a fig tree, and it was full of leaves, greenery, but it didn't have a single fig on it. And Jesus spoke a word, spoken, it's called in some circles, that a curse, not profanity, but a curse in that Jesus said, let no one ever eat fruit from you again. Not every fig tree across the rest of the world but off this particular fig tree, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. Now, there's speculation, and people can say they know why he said it, and there's many different reasons why it may have been that. But we're going to find the way we know for sure the lesson on the next day. The tree withered immediately from the roots up. And then came an incredible confrontation. Jesus came into the temple, and now, this time of day, it wasn't like the night before. It was bustling with all kind of noise and people coming in and going out and coming in and going out. And then the, Jesus and the disciples heard the voice of animals in, 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 the, in the outward um, uh, area of the, of the temple. And they heard all kind of voices. And they walked in, and there were people who were called money changers. And they were doing business right there in the temple. They were trying to do things for their own gain. They were buying and selling uh, certain things that you might use in a temple sacrifice service, etc., but they were doing it with motives of just building their business. And when Jesus walked in and he saw all of that being transpiring in the temple, he did something that nobody had ever seen him do before. 
Nobody had ever seen him do something like that before. He just walked over there to their tables. He started cleaning house. Some of y'all are now listening to me. Maybe I ought to do that more often. And this is what he said. It is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer. Back when the temple was consecrated by Solomon, when it was built and consecrated, God said, this will forever be a place of prayer. In my eyes, in my heart, will always be in this place. It is the house of of prayer. Why do you think we don't ever have a service here without having a time of hands-on prayer? It's the heart of God. And if we were to ever start trying to be a place of entertainment or a place where somebody is personally benefiting, may God have mercy on us. That won't happen as long as I'm here. Well, you think that might have caused a ruckus? Because all of this was in cahoots with the religious leaders of that day. And uh, they didn't like it at all because he was messing with their money. Isn't it amazing that a lot of times somebody's real problem gets back to money? Isn't that amazing? He was messing with their money. And so they confronted him and asked him, by whose authority do you do these things? And Jesus didn't have to give them an explanation. How many of you know sometimes when you're attacked, you don't have to explain yourself to everybody. Well, the tension rose mightily beginning on Monday. It really ramped up. They went back to Bethany, stayed with their friends for the night, two-mile journey back. And the next day they were heading back into town into Jerusalem. One of the disciples looked over there and said, Lord, look. Look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered from the ground up. Jesus must have smiled. And he said, well, truly I'll tell you this. Whoever, whoever says to this mountain, much less a fig tree whoever says to this mountain be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes that what he says takes place he he will have what he says so what i want you to get from this fellas is faith i'm talking to you about faith and what just a little bit of it can do And went back in, more confrontation with the religious leaders. 
And then as they were leaving town to go back out to Bethany, Jesus went to one of his special places. They call it the Mount of Olives, a mountainside there that looked straight back towards the temple in Jerusalem in the city. There he gave a discourse on end times. He talked about the temple being destroyed. He talked about the, um, and by the way, that actually took place in 70 A.D. He talked about the end times. He talked about the judgment of the righteous and the, and the unrighteous. And Matthew 24, many of you have read this over and over again. He talked about his second coming and the final judgment. It was on this day that scholars say Judas slipped out and cut a deal with the religious leaders, the chief priests, the scribes, sometimes made up of a group called the Sanhedrin. And he said, I'll, I'll deliver him over into your hands, and I will find the right time and the right way, and I'll lead you to the right man for a price. So the deal began to be cut on that Tuesday, and I'll have more to say about that in a minute. It went back after an exhausting, exhausting three days. And the next day, Wednesday, was a day the Bible speaks nothing about. I'll tell you, one of the great principles of God is that you've got to have some silence. If you're feeling guilty about having some time of silence and rest, you need to get over it. The Bible says that God never slumbers nor sleeps, and yet the Bible also says that God rested from his own works one out of seven days. So if God rested one out of seven days and he didn't even need it, maybe we need to understand their spiritual principle there. Total silence on Wednesday. Then on Thursday, as I said earlier when we did communion, Peter and John were sent by Jesus into the city. They were told, Find certain, certain man and say, the Lord has need of this room and he'll prepare it for you. It'll be fine. It'll be furnished. It'll be fine. They met the man. He said just like Jesus said he would. And they gave them a, an upper room in a building he owned for Jesus and his disciples to celebrate the Passover. Understand, Jesus and all of the disciples were Jewish men. The Apostle Paul, the the vast majority of the early believers were Jewish people. And of course they were celebrating the Passover. As they gathered for a meal there on that Thursday. Remember that, and this is going to be important in a minute, remember that um, 
Jewish days starts uh, at sundown on the day we would, calendar-wise, we would say would be nighttime. Their days begin on sundown and go to sundown the next day. So that, and that's one reason why Pilate and the Romans expedited Jesus' trials because if they had tried to have the trials and tried to crucify him on the day of the Passover with all the people in Jerusalem to celebrate that, they would have had a riot. So on this Thursday evening as they sat there for the meal, uh, Jesus uh, began to talk to them about how earnestly he had desired to have that meal. And then he said something that hard for me to enter into. He said, one of you will betray me. He already knew that Judas had made a deal and was working on it. You ever been betrayed? Usually it comes from somebody you don't see it coming. Usually it comes from somebody that is very, very close to you. And the pain is that you, when they betray you, they not only choose to break your trust, but they begin to work against you too. And it is something that gets into your soul. It's not something that you can just take a nap and get over. It is something that rocks your world. If you live long enough on this broken earth, sooner or later, you'll be betrayed. But I also want you to know something else. There is one who gets it, who had the ultimate betrayal. We have never known the depths of betrayal like he did. Think about that. A man chosen by him who lived with him for three years, who saw the, all the miracles, who heard all the teaching, who observed every part of his life, whom he actually used to go about working for the ministry. We're talking deep. We're talking somebody who betrayed your trust, who not only betrayed your trust, but works against you and what you're doing. You've been betrayed, Jesus gets it. You can go to him and you can cry out to him 
and receive mercy and find grace there. He gets it. They may have stolen money. They may have stolen your innocence. They may have stolen something very, very precious to you. There's a myriad of things it could have been. But I want you to know today that the Lord understands betrayal and he will minister to you. He will help you through this. But it's not going to be a, a quick poof and it's gone. It's going to take a while. But the Lord, spe- listen, the Lord specializes in long-term healing. Almost tripped over one of my tables there. Judas left, left the meeting, went on to do what he was caught up in to do. And the disciples were perplexed and looking around. They thought he was going to do something for the ministry. And he handled the money. Isn't that interesting? And the disciples were talking about, Lord, I I, th- th- that just can't happen. Nobody's going to betray you. And Peter especially said, I would never do something like that. Not, there's no way. And Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, Simon, listen to this, the gravity of these words. Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. The sifting process meant to separate wheat from chaff. Satan has desired to separate you from me. How many of you know Satan can have an assignment against one of God's children to try to separate you from Jesus. He'll do anything and everything he can do to try to separate you from the Lord. Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. But, listen to what Jesus said, I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you. Maybe some of you need to realize that Satan has desired to sift you or your spouse or your children like wheat. You need to rise up before heaven and say, but I have prayed for you. And remember what Jesus said then, when, not if, but when you have returned, you will impact your brethren. You'll have a ministry then. You'll minister to your brethren. So what I got to tell you is this, regardless of what you can or can't understand, recognize that Jesus is praying for you. Peter had to come to grips with his stuff. In fact, it wouldn't be long before he actually heard words three times out of his own mouth of betrayal. Well, what's the difference between Peter and Judas? Because the New Testament tells us that that Judas eventually became full of remorse 
Peter repented. Judas got engulfed in remorse. Being absolutely preoccupied with remorse led Judas to suicide. Led Peter to repentance. And one of the strongest leaders of the Christian church ever. There's a difference. Remorse won't get you anywhere but death. Repentance will bring new life and forgiveness and new hope. After they had the Lord's communion, Judas had had left by then. They had the Lord, the, the Lord's Supper, the communion was instituted. They sang a hymn and they walked out. And there was a garden out there called Gethsemane. It was a special place where Jesus liked to go regularly and pray, meditate on the things of God. He asked Peter, James, and John to go with him a little farther in that garden. And as he went further into the depths of that garden, he said, watch and pray with me. My soul is extraordinarily, listen to this, my soul is extraordinarily sorrowful even to the point of death. Have you ever felt like you couldn't breathe when it was so heavy on you? You felt no way of escape. You couldn't breathe. Your heart was racing. You didn't know if your physical body was going to be able to stand the pressure that you were under. That's where he was. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to the point of death. Watch and pray with me. They had good intentions. They knelt there. Jesus went a little farther away. He was in great anguish. He came back. They were still resting. Sleep had overcome them. He said, watch him pray with me. Watch him pray with me. My soul is extremely sorrowful. I'm at the point of death. Watch him pray with me. Well, he came back again. And in the meantime, he said, Father, now, uh, remember this. Have you ever thought about the pressure he was under? Do you realize that if Jesus had given, if he had given in to any thoughts of rebellion, if he had given in to canning what his life's mission was, that if Jesus had given in to the emotions of bitterness toward his betrayer, that if Jesus had, been, had given in to one thought, one emotion, one anything that was inferior to the holiness of God, do you realize you wouldn't be here today? You'd be going straight to hell. Let me put that again real strong for you. If Jesus had given in in that garden for one choice, you and I would go to hell. Our sins would not be forgiven. He would have exempted himself from being our Lord. The Bible says he was tempted in all points like we are, yet never sinned. It was not a sham. It was real. And Jesus cried out, Father, 
If there's any other way, let this cup, let this assignment, let it pass from me. You ever prayed like that? There have been times in my life I've gone and just fell on the floor in a room and asked God to let this cup pass from me. Don't let this happen. Don't make me have to go through this. Anything, just don't make me have to go through this. And I don't have to describe the situation to you. But then Jesus said, with you on his mind, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. There was a sound of voices. There were lights with torches coming through the woods. And then there was the sham of one of his disciples coming up with a kiss and saying, Rabbi, Rabbi, identifying. That was Judas identifying to the soldiers. It was dark, just torchlight. I'm not so sure that didn't hurt worse than the cross. What a suffering. You know what I, do you know what I mean when I say there's some people who just want to fight? Peter pulled out a sword. Don't be nervous. Yes, he was an armed man. He pulled out a sword took a swing, and thank God the chief, the chief priest's servant, Malchus, did a duck, clearly sliced off his ear. And the Lord said, put, put that up. Put that up. And in his last healing work, he healed that evil man's servant placed the ear back on his head with compassion. And the Bible says he was then bound and led away. And that's where we'll pick up next Sunday. But pastor, we ain't got to the crucifix. Oh yeah, we're going to get there. But I tell you, there's some great news coming. All, everything in heaven and earth changed between midnight Thursday night and Sunday morning. And you'll want to be here next week as we celebrate the power of the resurrection of our Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. I want to I want to ask you to just join with me to just pray that you would know the Lord more. I want to know you I want to know you more, Lord. I want to know you more. Would you spend some time this week just thinking about 
what it must have been like. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you. Give you a deeper connection with the Lord of that journey. That resurrection day wouldn't be just a trivial, trite, oh, it's Easter. Know that you'd really get revelation of what the resurrection did. Because you know the word says you were there. What, do you not know that we were crucified with Christ, buried with him, raised with him to walk in the newness of life? In God's incredible eternal eyes, you were there. Would you pray the Lord will give you a greater revelation of it? Just, just take a minute now and ask the Lord to help you know him more. We'd give our final breath. Just to know you more. Thank you for your love for us. Give us greater revelation of the depth of it. In Jesus' name and holy name. And go with God. You can access more of Steve Franklin's teachings online at www.sfmin.com.